What is up, y'all? I think you're in for a treat. This is going to be a fun episode. And before I hit it real briefly, uh, before I introduce Zach, our guest, and we go into really our first conversation about cryptocurrency that I can recall uh, on this podcast and talking about where things are headed in that industry and how it's going to change the world. And frankly, I, I wanted to lead off by really kind of a PSA on this. I, As you all know, as listeners of the podcast, we haven't done too many interviews lately. We haven't released too many episodes. Um, and the focus really around that was, frankly, I, I think I've been putting the cart before the horse. <laughs> I, uh, I kind of took some time off from this podcast to really think about where we wanted to go, what I actually enjoy with these interviews. Because as you guys know, I don't do this for the money. I don't do this for, um, this isn't something I do in any way, shape or form, um, for, for an external purpose beyond the fact that I, I enjoy conversations. And frankly, the conversations I think got a little carried away to the point where I was really trying to, the interviews kind of went from, and this isn't just the interviews published. There's a lot that I, I frankly, I haven't published because I wanted to, I've been thinking and stewing over really what the purpose of this show is. And ultimately it's still the same as when I first created the podcast, as you guys know, and the brief synopsis of this, if you guys want to, you know, fast forward to the about four minute mark, I'll be done with this because I got about 90 seconds here. But the purpose of the show was when I exited the painting business, I grew for four years. I had this, I, ha I used to have this executive leadership team and then a team underneath that, that over 150 team members. And I needed an outlet. I went from uh, leading and communicating with so many folks, the podcast became an opportunity to outlet some of these ideas and leadership thoughts, en energy, uh, entrepreneurship, sales, leadership, whatever. I could go down the line, right? And you guys are familiar with the podcast. We do usually pretty short episodes on this stuff and just rants and stuff like that. I never intended to do interviews until COVID. When COVID hit, we had the opportunity to get some really awesome guests on from probably about episode 28 with Brant to um, Brant Pimvedic, uh, uh, then And then from probably the next like 30 or 40 episodes, we sprinkled in some really high caliber interviews. And from there, we had some great interviews, some awesome conversations. But I started kind of getting away from what's the purpose of these interviews and more so just having conversations of, over free range. I want this podcast to be like I intended it to start with my ideas. I want to see how they're going to stand up over the test of time. I think it's going to be a cool project to look back on 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years from now and see, damn, I thought about that. That's what I thought about this subject or wow, okay, maybe this, maybe I was onto something there, right? I want the same to be the case for the interviews that we do. I want these conversations to be really not just about making money and doing something something that's going to serve a means to an end right now in 2021, but I want to talk about subjects and conversations that are going to be valuable in 2050, 2100, 2200. I want these conversations to be timeless in that sense. I really want to focus on where things are headed because that gets me excited when folks are not just interested in earning lots and lots of income, but actually focused on where, where are things headed? Where's the world going? And um, I'm hoping that you all are going to see a shift in those interviews as we move forward with this podcast. And um, I'm frankly really excited. I've, I feel thrilled not only about this episode with Zach, but our episode tomorrow that's going to go live with Caleb that we did a couple months ago. I mean, we've got some really good stuff coming. So I appreciate you all for hanging on there for the patience of following along with this get after a journey and this project. I always called it a podcasting project above all. But um, this has been a lot of fun, and I'm going to continue doing this. This is, this is something I enjoy to do and like having those visionary conversations moving forward on stuff. So 
Let's hit on, before I go on more tangents, let's hit on our guest today because uh, Zach is just, I really feel blessed that he took some time to have a conversation with us. Uh, Zach Saffron, he's the head of investor relations for a company called MiningStore.com. Um, Zach's been in Bitcoin mining for years now, and he's delivered keynotes all over the world. And this is actually how Zach and I got connected um, down in Tulum. Um, I spent a month down, uh, the month of April down in Tulum in 2021, and Zach and I got connected down there. And Zach's given keynotes all over the world for audiences, anywhere from 50 to 500 folks, about not only cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, but really the, the institutionalization of digital currency, and especially in the mining space. I mean, Zach is really well-versed on this stuff. Now, I want to be clear. This episode is really meant as an introduction, and I kind of lead off with that, right? Like, we haven't done something like this, so I really wanted to have Zach kind of deliver in layman terms what all this means, why it's important to follow, and heck, Zach and I are kind of on the same page. Let's see where things are at years from now. This will be a fun episode to look back on because we cover a lot of ground everywhere from what Bitcoin is, the difference between that and Ethereum, the blockchain, why it's so valuable on a global stage, and uh, we even talk a little bit Elon Musk there at the end as well. So with all further ado, Zach, uh, what a privilege it is to have him on the show. Um, Zach Saffron, head of investor relations from MiningStore.com. Let's get Zach in here, cue the intro, and let's get after it. This is the Get After It Podcast, where young professionals, entrepreneurs, and action takers learn what it takes to be a high performer. This is more than a podcast. It's a movement. Now, let's get after it with your host, Aaron Griffin. So, Zach, as we, as we kick things off here, I'm literally thinking on... Um, you can't judge me, by the way, for my lack of knowledge on crypto. So if I sound like a clown at points during this conversation, please feel free to correct me on some of this stuff. No, not, um, not at all. <laughs> so Zach, I, I'm mad curious. We, we just heard your introduction, kind of where, you, where you've been from, where you're headed. We're going to go into a lot of it. Um, I, I have some like, my hope was to, I mentioned we haven't actually done like a full-blown crypto episode and just kind of exploring some of these things on Get After yet. So this is really the purpose of you're my guinea pig. I really wanted to kind of get your thoughts on a lot of these things, where they're headed, what we're doing with this, and why it's important to at least follow this um, in terms of, especially for this audience, right? A lot of young professionals, people at the under age of 30 is like the vast majority of this podcast listenership. So I want to go into this, Zach. Uh, first of all, you're obviously, your role has been in, you've been in crypto since 2014. How has crypto changed from 2014 to 2021? So in the seven years you've been in it, what has it been like in terms of that radical shift beyond the fact that like, obviously the market cap has exploded and everyone's making money now versus back then. Actually back then they probably were making decent money too. Then what, how has the place changed in the last seven years? Yeah. I mean, we weren't really in it, but that's kind of like asking what's the difference between the internet in 1999 and now, you know, it's like yeah. night and day. And with crypto, it's still, much earlier than that whole progression. So it really just looked like there was no institutions involved at all. There was no understanding of custody. So the, the biggest issue was like, how do you safely hold your coins? Because there was a lot of scammers and there was, I mean, there were companies that were scammers. Um, so there, there was so much of a lack of maturity in the industry Back in 2014, I never would have told anybody that I respect or trust to participate in it because it was the Wild West and it still is the Wild West. But now there's custody. Now there's insurance. Now there's 
these normal things that exist in every other industry in the world that have you know taken time to really become integrated into this ecosystem which obviously that transition can be tough because people can get ripped off stuff like that but it also presents this incredible opportunity because you're looking at like where where else does insurance not exist insurance is everywhere it's in every industry but in crypto it's not so it's presented this amazing opportunity to build these huge businesses because this new asset class this entire new ecosystem has been built but yeah it is it is completely night and day <laughs> so, so, so let me hit on that maybe a foundational question just for folks who are because whether people know about bitcoin or not or know about cryptocurrency i'm actually just curious what, how do you define like what is cryptocurrency and why is it important yeah i mean cryptocurrency is is digital currency right at the end of the day it's it's just a digitized form of money now, why it's important is because what it does is it breaks down the barriers between the average individual and the financial system. And the financial system has a lot of control over how money works, how people are able to make money, uh, you know, just financial independence and freedom for the average person. Uh, so the best way to think about it is, you know, using this analogy of the internet again, it's like the internet broke down the barriers and the walls between, you know, the, the normal person and media. Now you, you can be a, a media outlet with this podcast and the internet allows you to do that. With crypto, you're the banker. You don't need the banker. You are the banker. And as that evolves and as, you know, decentralized finance, which we can touch on, and as these other cryptos start to evolve, you'll start to see the, you know, the, the winners, the Googles, the Amazons, the Facebooks come out of this whole sector and really show you, okay, what is real value here versus what is all talk and what is show. Right, right. Where do you see it? Like, this is a weird question, but in, in the sense of like, we just talked about the last seven years. Do you think the next seven years are going to be like, how are they going to compare to these first seven that have been like the absolute wave of into cryptocurrency where it's exploded to I'm not even sure what the what's the what's the what's the market cap? A couple trillion dollars, technically. On it's it's around one right trillion. Yeah, it's around uh, one trillion. I think it's grown a little bit with the Bitcoin, um, you know, price action over the past few weeks from thirty to fifty. But really, what's exciting now is that you say explosion, right? But what's happening is that institutions are now comfortable with Bitcoin and with cryptocurrency. So what's going to happen is. They're going to double down. They're going to triple down. They're going to quadruple down. They're going to put more money in this year and next year than they did in the past four combined when they were just dipping their toes in the water. So mm -hmm. now that now that Bitcoin has become a, a viably you know investable asset, where you have someone like Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan coming out and saying fifty percent of our you know our, our our clients own Bitcoin and say they want Bitcoin exposure, we own Bitcoin as the institution. Now that it's it's gotten a green light, it's going to go nuts because the, the floodgates are open and all that capital is now really starting. Whereas before, they were just dipping their toes in the water. They were getting comfortable. I, they were trying to understand it. What You just alluded to it, and I'm actually curious on financing because obviously with, with 
Oh, geez. Now we're going into economics here, but I'm thinking in terms of like the, <laughs> the, 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 the way in which the way in which they run the monetary system today, whoever that is, right. The banks and, and the central banks and actually how they connect and actually liquidate and, and less so uh, essentially how they extrapolate out money, right. How versus what they have in reserves versus what they can lend out. Where do you see this playing out? I'm, I'm really curious, like, when this becomes currency in the sense of like, how soon are you going to be going to your Starbucks and loading up Apple pay and paying with your Bitcoin? And it's just going to be something that 17 year olds do, right? It's just going to be something conditioned from, from yeah. an early age. Cause it's going to be the easiest. How is that going to happen? Is, is Bitcoin and most of these cryptocurrencies always going to be more so asset classes than currency, or do we see that transition to currency actually taking place? No, great question. I mean, Bitcoin in its true nature is a currency. That's what it was created for. Uh, it has taken on this role as an asset class because it is very scarce. It is, mm -hmm. it is the scarcest asset in the entire world. Um, and because of all this money printing, you have these institutions that are holding billions of dollars in cash. And when you have a situation like this where inflation is you know, it, it is coming. It is, it is known that when you print this much money, it is going to, to happen. So they have to put their money into scarce assets. Things are deflationary. So it's become this asset class because of really COVID and just the fact that the way it's built, you know, enables institutions to put large amounts of money in here, knowing it's young and it's scarce and it's backed by cryptography and math and mining, which is what I do. So there's some security there, especially now that institutional custody has been built, right? But when it comes to the currency side of things, that's why I'm in El Salvador right now. So I am in El Salvador in a small town called El Zante, and its nickname, nickname is Bitcoin Beach. So as of five days from now, September 7th, El Salvador will be the first country in the entire world to legally uh, make Bitcoin currency. So they pass legislation to where it's currency. And the reason that's really important is because it's treated as property in most places, just like a house. So when it goes up, if you sell it, you owe taxes on that. But that's not how true currencies work, right? If the US dollar goes up and down in valuation and you transact with it, that's not a taxable event. That's just currency. So here you can literally pay for anything with Bitcoin. Now, this is one example, but Bitcoin's only 11 years old. You can pay for Bitcoin, I believe, at Whole Foods, um, on Craigslist, on different, like there's, there's a few different niche places where you can pay for it. But the thing is, is that Bitcoin's a global currency. So it's not necessarily about when you can use it. It's about when the person in El Salvador who runs off the US dollar system, but didn't see a dollar of that stimulus, when they can use it, because they're taking back control of their monetary system. Right. It's right. It, Bitcoin wasn't necessarily built for the U.S. because the dollar in your pocket, you know, is still going to have value a few years from now. It may not be as much, but, you know, it's still going to be there. Bitcoin mm -hmm. was built for countries like Venezuela, whose currency just went to nothing. So that what you, that's where it's starting. What do you think about like um, and this is obviously a big topic. We'll see where this goes. I don't think I don't know if anybody has the answer, but you have the situation where the. Really, the the U S obviously has a massive military and we have a lot of these, there's obviously a lot in Zach, you're obviously from, uh, are you from North Carolina originally? I know you're technically yeah, from Austin, but you're North Carolina. So like, so Zach, Zach and I met in Mexico, but we're both from the United States citizens of the United States. The fascinating thing about the country is that really the biggest asset that it has is the fact that 
what is it like 90% of global transactions go through using the dollar because the dollar is the world reserve currency, even if, because if you have two countries with different currencies, they're all going to translate into the US dollar because it's the most stable currency than do business together, right? So is Bitcoin a threat to that? What happens if the government comes in and bans that? What does that even look like? Why would they do that? And why would they not do that? I'm actually really curious on that end. And also just like to throw a, throw a big curveball. I'm just, I'm w- really curious as to the sense of like, how does cryptocurrency threaten that financial system where frankly, the, the US is kind of, we're in a really challenging place, right? If we don't have that world reserve currency, because we have a lot of people holding US dollars that frankly, we need them to hold US dollars as we continue to inflate the currency, right? Yep. So you see, there's two parts to this. One, the major reason that it's the world reserve currency is because countries use it to buy oil, right? Mm -hmm. So the interesting thing that's been happening over the past six months is Russia specifically and China as well have both put out a lot of information basically saying, we are starting to go to the countries that we sell or buy oil from and saying, we will transact in your native currency if you aren't running off the US dollar system. So they're trying to you know, essentially go around the US as the reserve currency saying like, well, if this is the major reason why this is you know, what it is, then let's figure out how to not do it because obviously their goal is to you know, be more powerful than us as countries and whatnot. So that's a really interesting trend that's happening in regards to the fact that it is the reserve currency. But then you can look at an example like El Salvador when it comes to the threat, right? So El Salvador, everything here runs off the US dollar. They run off US dollars as their system. The US printed more money in 2020 than they have in the past 70 years combined. So the problem is is that when you're El Salvador, they didn't get a dollar of that stimulus money. The government didn't, the businesses didn't, and the people didn't. Mm -hmm. But the value of the dollar now almost has a guarantee that it's going to go down because of all this money being printed in inflation. So Mm -hmm. you're left here as El Salvador saying, okay, well, we chose to participate in this system because we think it's secure and it's stable. Now, after COVID, we don't necessarily think that's true. So what do you do? Right? What do you do? Bitcoin is the only option. That is it. So it is a threat, right? But it's just like the internet. Bitcoin is just code. It just exists on millions of laptops across the world, smartphones. You can't stop it. It's out in the world. It's Mm. there. It exists. So at some level, what countries are going to do, and I don't know exactly what they do, but they either try and ban it and then realize they can't, just like India, they banned it in 2018, and then they reversed that because they realized if we ban this, people are still going to use it. People know how to right. use VPNs. People know how to get around cybersecurity in a basic way. So they're still going to use it, and we're not going to make any money from it. So then they're going to revert it and try and learn how they can participate in it. I don't think the U.S. is going to ban it directly because it's it's too big of a deal for right. our legislation to come to an agreement on anything. So right. I think that they're they're just trying to get familiar with it. They're trying to learn about it just like they did the Internet. And they're trying to understand how they can participate in it so they get a little piece of the pie Um and don't just completely get left out. Because if, if they do ban it, what's going to happen is other countries around the world are going to say, we love Bitcoin. Do right, your Bitcoin right. business here. Bring it here. And all that money is going to flood in. 
so, so what's the argument as to why why would they ban it? What would, what would the U.S. have to gain by by banning a cryptocurrency or banning Bitcoin or one of these things? Um, so, I mean, there's a big difference between banning a crypto and banning Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is fully sure. decentralized, which means you can't call anyone that works for Bitcoin, mm-hmm. right? There's no, nobody knows who created it, which is one of the crazy parts. So when you ban something like that, it's like trying to ban the internet. It's basically impossible. But then there's the example of Facebook. Facebook came out with their cryptocurrency called Libra. Now, the US banned this because essentially what Facebook is doing is they're saying like, they're trying to do the same thing as Bitcoin in a sense of, you know, taking away power from the US monetary system and financial system. But because Facebook is centralized and they have this marketplace with their, their platform, the U.S. said, no, nah, you, you can't do that. You, you still have to run up our system if people are going to transact here. We'll see what happens to that in five to 10 years. But the only reason they would ban it is because they're scared and they don't know enough about it, which is feeding into them being scared. Once they realize like it just exists, it's just code. It exists on all these laptops around the world and nobody actually controls it. What are you supposed to do? Like, right. you, you can't do anything. I, I remember you, you told me something that stuck with me is that uh, there will never be a time in this generation that will be a bad time to purchase Bitcoin, right? Um, yeah. I'm curious in the sense of uh, the, the, a lot of these like bigger, called altcoins or really just all these other currencies, right? It seems to, just from the naked eye, it seems that a lot of these, I mean, I remember... Uh, the first time I was introduced to this, I mean, everyone had heard of Bitcoin, but I had a friend tell me about a Chainlink back in like 2019 when Chainlink was like a buck 40 a coin. And what is Chainlink at? Like 25, 30 bucks a coin right now, something like that, right? Most of these currencies though, at least the top 15 or so in the marketplace and really trending beyond that, it seems like just, just to my naked eye that essentially we're, we don't see as many wild swings as much as we really see almost entirely or very damn close to near perfect price swings with Bitcoin. Bitcoin seems to be setting the market on a lot of these prices where if Bitcoin dives, all of these coins are going to dive. And if Bitcoin goes up, all these coins are going to go up at least the top 10 or 15 coins by market cap. Can you, can you explain why that is? Is that something that you see? Is that like a, is that a poor, poor idealization on my end? And what's the, because obviously the coins themselves are, are all different, right? They all have different means and different uses. And some of them are actually legitimate cryptocurrencies versus you have like Dogecoin, which is hypothetically just, just the open, what is it? They, they can print as many as they want or whatever the case is, or make as many as they want. Yeah. What are your, just, what are your thoughts on like, in terms of like, what is the, what is the difference between some of these coins and does it ultimately matter if the price velocity is pretty much tied to Bitcoin for at least the, the top ones, the ones that have top market share? Yeah. I mean, the way that I describe it is like, most of these coins, what you can think of them as is almost like a stock because the foundation is a company that's built some technology on the blockchain. And the way that they're trying to monetize this is through their token, right? So Ethereum is a technology and their coin is called Ether or ETH, right? So they're trying to get liquidity essentially for the ecosystem or the network that they've built through issuing this token. Bitcoin is a decentralized technology, so nobody controls it. The, the technology itself is just, it is just Bitcoin, right? There's no, there's no scaling except for more users coming into it versus Ethereum, which, you know, in, in a sense is programmable money. It allows you to 
you know, use smart contracts to create customized transactions that the network will be the escrow account. So let's say you had a house and you put the deed to the house on the Ethereum blockchain and you said this house is 200 Ethereum. If someone paid that 200 Ethereum, then instantly you would receive the Ethereum and they would receive the deed and you could sell a house in theory with the click of a button. That's just one very niche example in what you can do with Ethereum. But all these other coins are just technologies that somebody's built. Sometimes they're as stupid as Dogecoin, which literally is the concept of monetizing a meme, right? right. Memes are valuable. Attention is money. Dogecoin's funny because that is the whole joke is that it is a meme, but their fundamental economics and monetary policy isn't very sound. So what happens to Dogecoin in the future? Well, nobody really knows. Um, I would just say, if you are looking at this from an investment perspective, anything outside of Bitcoin and Ethereum are highly speculative and very heavily dependent on the technology that they have built being right. widely, widely adopted. Mm -hmm. So- do you, do you actually mind going a little bit more in depth on the Ethereum versus Bitcoin? Because most of these coins are all built on Ethereum. Is that correct, essentially? A lot of, a lot of them are correct. Yeah. So what, what is that like in terms of the, so what you just described about the house, what's the difference between that example and like with Bitcoin? Could you not do the same exact thing with Bitcoin where I get actually no, Bitcoin and I get the thing? No. Basically like uh, Ethereum, it's all about smart contracts. So what a smart contract is, is exactly what it sounds. It is a programmed contract or transaction. You can't do that with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is truly just like either you hold it as an asset or I can send it to you and you can send it to me. And then there's something called layer two technology, which is you know basically the second layer on top of the base code of Bitcoin that enables transactions to happen much quicker. So it's actually efficient to send. Ethereum, the whole point is that you can build your own coin on it. So it's infinitely scalable. Right, because if someone builds an ERC twenty, which is the Ethereum blockchain token that takes off and becomes one of the most widely used technologies in the world, well, just the fact that it's an Ethereum built token gives Ethereum value, right? Mm -hmm. So, it it's the difference between the simplicity of Bitcoin versus the infinite scalability of being able to program transactions in whatever way, shape, or form. I think Ethereum is really cool, but there's a lot of problems with Ethereum, just like there are, you know, with, with anything really, there's problems with Bitcoin, but it then that's why layer two gets built. And that's why all these technologies get built, which are all these altcoins, because they're trying to fix those problems or make them incrementally better. So this is, this is one of the moments I'm going to plead ignorance on a little bit in the sense of a, uh... Um, Ethereum, I've seen something along the lines of they've talked about safe sign-in, like actually being able to sign into different accounts online using your Ethereum. Is it some kind of login code or something that's attached to your wallet? Do you know anything about in terms of practical applications to these to cryptocurrencies, especially like Ethereum um, over the long term where you're going to see that? Do you know what I'm talking about by chance? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, in terms of actual application, I mean, it's tough, right? Because it's it's too early to say who's going to be the real, you know, winners here. It, mm -hmm. It'll just it'll it'll be a game of time. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when now. And it's just development. It's just sure. you know developers working and making this better, 
you know, and that's why with like these other tokens, like it's great because it is innovation. It's people making technology. It's just don't invest in, you know, SafeCoin or whatever, because you think it's going to blow up. Do your research, understand the technology, just like you do for any stock. Like do your research. Don't just throw a thousand bucks at Tesla because you think it's a good idea. Do your research. And if you find a company that you really think is building something innovative on the blockchain that has you know, long-term value and real scalability. Okay, cool. Then, you know, buy some of their tokens. But hmm. I think it's just a matter of time to see how this all plays out. You know, um, I know you've done, obviously you've done keynotes. You've talked about crypto to all sizes of crowds and talking about specifically Bitcoin. And obviously you're in Bitcoin mining and you run the sales team there for, 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 for mining store. I'm curious on your end though, Zach, like, um, well, actually, just actually specifically, like, what's the best? What's the best platform to actually purchase cryptocurrency on? Yeah, I mean, Coinbase is always solid just because they're huge. I mean, they're a public company, so there's there's not a lot of publicly traded companies out there in the crypto space that offer custody. Um, mm -hmm. I use Cash App. Now, it, again, this really depends where you are geographically. If you're in the U.S., Cash App is pretty easy. I don't think you can use it if you're in Canada. Um, Cash App is very easy. Their interface makes it great. And what I do, I mean, I mine myself, but I, I buy 50 bucks a day and I set it up on recurring. So at like, I don't know when I did it, it was like 4.30 PM. At 4.30 PM every single day, my Cash App buys Bitcoin, buys 50 bucks, and just takes it out of my bank account, buys it. What's been the, in, in terms of like, I'm, I'm sure you get this question all the time, but I'm, a, I'm actually just curious. What's the, what is the devil's advocate position to when we talked about inflation earlier and trying to find a better store of value, hypothetically, what is the argument of Bitcoin versus gold ultimately? And some of these silver precious metals versus yeah, I mean, currencies. Yeah. So, I mean, the main thing is, is that Bitcoin's actually scarce. So if gold goes to a hundred thousand dollars an ounce, you better believe whatever gold chains you got lying around, you're, you're selling those. And mm -hmm. gold miners, they're going to ramp up their production to drive the price down because it is so profitable. But with Bitcoin mining, which is how Bitcoin's created, it, their supply schedule is set mathematically. So right. if Bitcoin goes to $200,000 next week, that doesn't mean that more Bitcoin are going to become available from the people actually creating it. Now, obviously you're gonna have a lot of people selling it on the market and that's gonna drive the price down. But when it comes to the actual supply schedule, the actual scarcity, the actual extraction of this asset from the network or in gold's you know, term from actual ground, that is set to where the actual demand of it does not affect the supply. So once all the Bitcoins are mined in the year 2140, it truly is just a supply demand game, right? But with gold, you have these dynamics where, okay, well, if it goes to 100K an ounce and miners are able to ramp up production and mine more gold, how scarce is gold, right? If, right. And I know, this, I know this sounds like a joke because it, it's ridiculous to think about, but if Elon goes to space, you know, mines some asteroids for gold and increases the total supply by 2X, how scarce is gold, right? Hmm. So- Bitcoin is mathematically limited and, and Bitcoin is just math. It's code and math. And that's why it's so valuable is because nobody can tamper with it. It's secured by the single biggest computing network in the entire world. And it is fixed by math, which 
it, you know, you can't argue with math. <laughs> I love it. How, uh, let's take this back, dude. Uh, I'm actually more than curious your story. How'd you get involved in this? You're, you're obviously, I mean, you're my age, you've been in this for a while. You're, you've been, you've been going after things for, for a few years. That's why I, I feel like that might've been why we connected so well down in Tulum when we had the chance to, it was like just the, just the, the, uh, I have a lot of admiration for, for what you've done and how long you've stuck with it. Take me back though. How, how did you get into the space in the first place? Where were you at? What was life looking like for you back in, what was it 2014 you said? Yeah, I was, um, I was in high school in 2014. And actually the first time I ever heard about Bitcoin was because I was in a club. I was president of a club called DECA, which is like a marketing club. Um, and some girl, we, we basically had a class for DECA where we just go in and work on our projects. And some girl gave a presentation that was like her, her mock project. And it was about Bitcoin. And it's because her brother was into it. So I heard about it then in high school, kind of, you know, pass it off, wasn't really into monetary policy when I was when I was that age. But then I went to college and I had some friends who were into it. We started buying it from this ATM that was in a gas station across the street from our dorm room. The guy who owned the gas station said, you guys are the only people who use this. I don't know what this is. Someone came in and paid me $3,000 to just leave it in the store. Wow. Um, and Back then, Bitcoin was like, I don't know, three, four hundred dollars. Um, yeah. And then after I dropped out of school, that's when I seriously got into it. So that was like late 2016. Um, seriously got into understanding it and trying to understand the mining side of it. I was lucky enough to have a hometown friend that was mining himself and had been doing these very makeshift mining projects with his buddies and some investors and was looking for somebody that had you know the ability to help him build a company and you know mm -hmm. not that i'd ever built a company before but i had a really good head on my shoulders and still do for sales and marketing and he is very technical so for him he's very much about how do we build these things you know in a computer facility type way and for me i'm like how do we get investors to give us capital to do that how do we build a brand so people know who we are and that combination has worked very well. Um, so we went from 2016 being in his mom's basement to now having almost 25 full-time people and you know doing over what I think 25 million in revenue combined over the past few years. So that's remarkable. How how has it been in terms of like um, for you being because uh, I just, I can think back to this and just reflect on it in terms of the the it's not even so much the leadership apparatus. It's more so the, the fact that you are doing something that is wildly different than what most people are doing. Uh, how, how did that impact you? Just, uh, I'm actually just more so curious on your own personal sense. This is, I guess, a little bit away from the, from the Bitcoin conversation, but more so for, for Zach. Uh, what was it like in terms of, because you mentioned uh, dropping out of college and then getting into cryptocurrency. I mean, you must have been the biggest nerd in the world back in 2016, 2015, when you were first really diving into this. Um, how do you think that strengthened you to help you become the person you are today? Yeah, I mean, I think adversity builds resiliency. And it just breeds growth. So when, when you drop out of school, then, you know, it, it becomes like, what am I going to do? It's, it, there's no, there's no path anymore. It completely is on you. And I think all my family was kind of holding their breath, just like, uh, is he going to be a waiter for the rest of his life? Or is he going to figure it out? Um, and, you know, the, the way I'm built is that I know I'm here to do great things. And I know that I'm here to 
you know, really, really make an impact on the world. So when you have that mindset, which I think a lot of that came from losing weight. Um, so when I dropped out, I was 300 pounds. And in the year that I dropped out, I lost about 100 pounds. And fitness was like, fitness was my, fitness was my cornerstone. It's what I was making progress in every day. So that allowed me to um, feel the the energy that comes from, you know, actually seeing results and, you know, enabled me to channel that energy into other things, which then turned into business and mindset and some of the spiritual work that I do. So I think that it just gave me real strength, you know, on a spiritual level and an emotional level, because it really was like, okay, there are no answers at all. You have to figure this out. You have to use the people around you and your intuition and your ability to sit down and learn things and then execute. Uh, and, and when you do that, and, and obviously you know this, right? When you do that, by the time you're 23, if you've actually done that, I mean, I feel like I can do anything now. I feel like mm. whatever I put my mind to, I can use the skills that I've learned. I can use my, my gut and my intuition to drive me. And I, I've already done so much at such a young age that I feel like I have the ability to put that energy into anything that I want. And mm. I think that's lacking from a lot of, people that are our age is just that faith in themselves because it's a big, oh, scary sure. world out there. There's a lot of competition, you know? Oh, and well, and we're also in a time we're watching institutions literally break down in front of us. Right. In terms of, uh, it's always been a joke in terms of like, are you really going to, you know, is the assembly line process still real? Like the go to college, get a job, all these different things, the, just all of the, all of the classic institutional things and, Frankly, they're all a lot, a lot more up in the air after COVID. I just want to highlight how, how remarkable it is, Zach. I'm thinking in terms of like, I think the second day I met you, we were playing volleyball. And Zach is this slim guy who's, what are you, 6'3", 6'4"? You've got a couple inches yeah, on six, me. Four. You're, six, you're a tall four. guy. He's a big guy. And it's like, I can't imagine being 300 pounds. You must have been monstrous, man. Because literally, we were calling you Texas. Because you're from Texas oh, yeah. at the time. You're this big guy out there on the volleyball courts. I'm thinking, dude, um, where, where do you want to see in terms of, you're in El Salvador right now for, obviously, they're, they're making it, essentially, is it, are they just classifying Bitcoin as legal tender? Is that what they're doing? Yeah, yeah So So that they're, people are going to be able to pay their taxes in Bitcoin. They're going to be able to use it, I would assume, at banks, essentially. Are banks going to be accepting Bitcoin? Um, that's kind of the next step because banks are private institutions. So it's, right. it's ultimately up to them, but yes, I mean, they can pay their taxes in Bitcoin and it's not treated as property. So you're not taxed on it if you sell it and it goes up, which is a huge right. deal. What, what do you think about, and this is, I'm just, I'm, I'm really curious on the front of like, because we don't know where Bitcoin technically really, really came from in terms of who invented it. Would it be surprising to find out that um, some nefarious, not even so much a nefarious source. It doesn't have to be nefarious, but like uh, a, a large percentage, we'll say, of the of the mark of the of the total market share of the Bitcoin of a Bitcoin itself, or like one of these currencies, uh, is literally owned by like the the Chinese Communist Party or one of these like bigger, you know, one of these groups that could have gotten a wind on this years ago and actually has a lot of control. Is that possible? because we don't know the identities of people who actually have Bitcoin wallets? Well, so the interesting thing is that like, you don't know who built it, but you can see the, uh, the, the Genesis account. So you can go and look up based on the blockchain data, recording everything, like the first Bitcoin wallet, which in theory is Satoshi Nakamoto, who, which is the alias for the person or the group um, who created Bitcoin. 
that is their wallet. And I forget how many Bitcoins it has, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, I believe it's over a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin. Now, the fascinating thing is that it's never moved ever. It's never been sent to another wallet. It's literally never been touched. So realistically, like who's a communist Chinese government or whatever, like, I don't think they would care if they moved it and took that funds, took those funds and, you know, got liquid in cash or whatever. Um, so I, I think it's pretty unlikely with that. I think what my opinion is, is that whoever created it is dead, honestly, um, or, you know, really in hiding because I think yeah. he would be like a global target if people found out that he or she or whoever was the creator of this, like you said before, threat on every monetary system in the entire world. Right. Right. Because eventually we're going to see most, most businesses. I mean, frankly, do you, do you see this as a competing currency to the U S dollar or is it, is it really, is it really a stronger currency than, than fiat currency? Oh, I mean, it's definitely stronger. It's just evolution in, in technology terms. Um, I think whether it gets adopted in the U.S. or not as a form of currency, it's already adopted as a asset, which provides value for the ecosystem as a whole, because the more money that goes into it and the longer people hold this, the more the price is going to go up. So people can piggyback off the fact that, you know, it is an institutionally viable asset now. Um, but realistically, like we said before, Bitcoin was not built for the U.S. Bitcoin was built for countries like Greece, Venezuela, El Salvador, um, you know, Turkey. It, it is. So, it is really fascinating because what it does is it essentially it provides this it provides this freedom that folks in non-developed countries, but less than non-developed, it's really non-stable co- countries would never have access to it. And it, it provides an access for people to be able to go take whatever it is, the ability, the assets, whatever the, the means in which they've cap- brought the capability on, and they can move very easily to a country of less means and actually support and prop up those communities in a larger way, because you're using a currency that can't be inflated by a foreign dignitary that has more control over the, the monetary values than others. And it, so it provides so much more freedom Maybe I'm just going on a tangent here, but it's, it's kind of fair, right? Like it's literally a provides Bitcoin, Bitcoin freedom is freedom. For the individual, right? Bitcoin, Bitcoin is freedom. That's what that's what me and my boys have been saying for years, and you know, it really is freedom because at the end of the day, like you vote with your money, right? When you go to the voting polls every election, like we see it, right? Who, like, what was it? The past, I don't know what the numbers are, but all these elections where the electoral college decides it and the popular vote didn't line up with the electoral college it's like that that's that's not voting that's like that's the system that was built you know with by our founding fathers that didn't anticipate california having 50 million people or whatever it has and you know north dakota having the same amount of power when it comes to these these votes so you vote with your money that's where you actually put and at a very micro level yeah, at a very yeah. micro level, you make that decision bluntly, right? You vote with your money. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So when you take power away from the U.S. government, you're saying like, I'm voting, I'm putting my vote into this system because it's sound money backed by mathematics. And I don't want you to tamper with the fact that you print all this money and then you give it to banks and hedge funds. And I'm the one who has the repercussions for that. Right. Right. 
do you even do you pay attention to the I mean obviously I'm sure obviously you're heavily invested in cryptocurrencies but do you, do you pay attention to too much of the the price fluctuations like how are you I can only imagine you must have been on you you've been on such a roller coaster for the last so many years without without facet swings but do you even pay attention to the prices anymore where do you expect for prices to go like do you even do you even do you even think about it because it's really just is it more of just a as more people because I've always just seen it as like as more people get acquainted to this, it hasn't even hit the masses yet. Once we have teachers putting a small percentage of their income into, you know, I mean, just as a, like an everyday civil worker, once they're putting everyday money into these things, into the into cryptocurrencies and purchasing that asset class, it's really going to explode. Do you even think about the prices anymore? How do you talk about that when you're raising capital for more mining and things like that with your clients? Yeah, I mean, on a personal level, I check the prices just because I'm fascinated by it. And sure. it's, it's part of my life. Um, in reality, though, I don't care about the price because, like I said, I buy 50 bucks a day regardless of what it is. So I am, you know, dollar cost averaging is what that's called. And that is traditionally the best way to invest in assets that are very volatile because you are taking all of the emotion out of the price that you're buying at. And you're just right. accumulating a little bit every day. Uh, us talking to clients and investors about the price. I mean, really, the conversation with mining is that, like, if Bitcoin stayed exactly where it's at right now, you would still make money every single day via mining. You could cash that out and you could use that for whatever you want, but it is a you know revenue generating business. If you put all that money into Bitcoin and it stayed where it's at, you're not making a dollar. Now, if Bitcoin goes up, then your mining investment is going to do very, very well. So if you think Bitcoin's going to go up, then putting that money into mining or just general, you know, putting it into Bitcoin, both are going to work. But if Bitcoin goes up, then, you know, with an efficiently managed operation, mining is going to produce a better return. Really, what mining is, is you're generating Bitcoin at a discount because you have a production cost. So you go into the cost of your machine, the cost of your power, the cost to run your operation. And eventually you can calculate what it takes for you to spit out one Bitcoin. And the difference between what that costs and what the market price of a Bitcoin is, is your margin. So right now it's around a two to two and a half X difference. So if you put $100,000 into mining, you could mine about two times the amount of Bitcoin than you could buy on the open market today. So that's kind of how we talk to investors about it. You've been really generous with your time, Zach. I appreciate you so much. I got I to gotta ask this last question though. I, I, the, the, whole, uh, the whole Elon Musk thing with, uh, with, with purchasing a bunch of Bitcoin and then dumping it after claiming it wasn't uh, green or eco-friendly, that it was, it was burning a lot. What, what was the, I'm sure you're more versed in the argument than I was in terms of what he was, what he was doing, but it lit social media a, a new one, right? Because he basically, basically made a t- big profit off of the, the, the Bitcoin hypothetically that they sold or that he sold or whatever the case was in almost like a big scheme pump and dump. But also I just wanted to have you just, could you talk about that and maybe, maybe present a little bit better than I did, but also just the fact of like, what was his argument? And why is it wrong? Because I remember you giving a couple of keynotes about why that was why that was really flawed, a flawed argument. Yeah, yeah. You, if you don't mind, if you don't mind, just kind of rehashing the the argument that he had, because I don't think I did probably due due no, diligence for, sure. here for the audience. For sure. So first off, it, in my opinion, it's very sad what he did because he's just manipulating markets and he's playing with people that are heavily invested in this and have a lot of emotional ties to their investments when he's the richest person in the world on paper. So to him, you know, this is nominal. So basically he, you know, at, at first he had, he'd come out and said, I'm, I'm, I love Bitcoin. It's great. 
great technology, it's freedom, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. We're now going to accept Bitcoin as a form of payment for Teslas. Awesome. Um, okay, now we're not going to accept Bitcoin for Teslas because Bitcoin is using dirty energy and is bad for the environment. So what I don't like is how he switches. He always has a different perspective. And it's like, have your opinion. Cool. I don't care. You're an American. You can do whatever you want. But stick to it. Don't fluctuate on your opinion because that's really where issues come from. Now, in his argument about it being bad for the environment, so anybody who's looked into Bitcoin, done any research on it, will know it uses a lot of energy. And that's what mining is. It's the biggest computing network in the entire world, which is providing network security to every transaction that happens and also functions as the way that Bitcoins are created and released into circulation. Now, there's a few different things to really think about here. First and foremost, using energy is not a bad thing. Using dirty energy is a bad thing, but we all know energy cannot be created nor destroyed. So using energy inherently is not a bad thing. Using dirty energy that releases carbon emissions into the atmosphere, that is a bad thing. So the second thing you need to look at is what's the makeup of the energy mix for Bitcoin mining. And there's been a lot of studies done on it. And you know most of the studies look at it where it's around 60 to 70% of Bitcoin mining is done with carbon neutral or green energy. All of the facilities that we've ever built use some sort of carbon neutral or green energy. Now, some are connected to the grid and the grid is gonna use a mix of coal, natural gas, wind, solar. So there's a mix there. Um, but our main flagship facility literally sits on site at a wind farm. And we're using that wind power and we're supplementing it, supplementing it with maybe you know, 20% grid power. So that is a very heavily driven renewable energy infrastructure project, which is not only providing revenue to that wind provider, but is also, you know, it, it is also green energy. So you look at the carbon mix and now you look at like, how does it actually interact with energy? And this is like the most fascinating thing to me, which is because Bitcoin mining is a decentralized computing network, which when, you, you know, to think about it in, in the other aspect, if you're hosting a website, right, that's centralized. So if your computers go down, that website goes down. Right. Now, Bitcoin Bitcoin's decentralized, which means if I turn my operation off in Iowa, well, there's still thousands of operations around the world that are running. So that doesn't mean that Bitcoin goes down. So if it's more productive for me to turn off my operation, then I can. Now, why would it be more productive? The way that power is built in the US is it's all built to meet something called peak events. So they overbuild capacity. They, they subsidize the crap out of wind and solar and they overbuild it on purpose because they need more energy in order to meet these one to 2% a year events where everybody needs energy at once. So that means that there's a lot of wasted energy sitting idle on the sidelines waiting to be deployed for these events. So what we do is we go in and we form partnerships with these wind companies and we tell them, we will buy your energy at a flat rate for 98% of the year. And the 2% of the year that you actually need it, you send us a notification and in under five minutes we can have you know, 50 megawatts of energy shut off, ready for you to send to the grid when you need it. So Bitcoin mining becomes this piece of energy technology that can be a profitable consumer 
of wasted energy when it's not needed by the grid and a, you know, it can curtail and provide something called demand response or load shedding when the grid actually needs it. So now you look at this overarching argument of like, is Bitcoin mining bad for the environment, right? Everything that has value requires energy. The banking right. system, think about, think about banks, think about all the construction that went into building the banks, all the lights there, right? Bitcoin doesn't have banks. Everything uses energy. So the question of, is it bad for the environment or not really comes down to, do you think Bitcoin has value? If you don't, then yeah, you probably think it shouldn't use a jewel of energy because you don't think it is worth anything. But if you think it is freedom and you think it is this monetary policy or system that enables people to have financial freedom, then yeah, it should use some energy. And the way it uses energy is, is pretty darn cool in how it works as this piece of energy tech, not just a consumer of energy. Mm. So, Fair. Dude, I know I just said last question, but actually last question here. Because uh, that was really good. Dude, uh, just about El Salvador. Uh, you're down there right now before for uh, the folks listening to this, he showed me he's got a ridiculous uh, house out there overlooking the overlooking the mountains and the, the, the rainforest into the into the ocean. It's a gorgeous country down there. I'm really curious, though, I'm just doing a quick uh, search on terms of like, in five days, it becomes legal tender, you're going to be able to pay your taxes in Bitcoin, it's going to be something that obviously it's going to be it's the first country in the world to make it a legal tender. Um, I'm actually curious if you could just take us on the ground. What what are the I'm first of all, when you Google it, it's kind of funny. The the first photo is some woman with a big she's got like a Bitcoin on her shirt and it got a big circle with an arrow through it, right? Like protesting Bitcoin being the being a legal tender. I'm curious, what are the interests at play saying that this is a bad idea? Uh, why did they do it in the first place? Um, to me, it seems frankly, well, I guess it doesn't really matter what it seems to me. I'm just thinking it doesn't make much sense if you're a government wanting to embrace this because it actually takes power out of the hands of government, right? For their, for their local currencies, it subjects them to a, to this bigger currency. So it's almost maybe, is it more selfless? Give us a little bit of the rundown in terms of just like, what are you expecting here? What were the purposes of doing this? What are some of the groups, what are you seeing on the ground there? And um, I guess, how does it feel to be in that country right now as they're going through this? Yeah, I mean, I've gotten to talk to a few people who are locals here. Most, most people here are locals uh, in this town or Bitcoiners, but so, I mean, the first thing to really note is that like El Salvador runs off the US dollar. So they're already playing in this monetary game of this huge entity. And like we said, all this money got printed, but guess what? El Salvador got none of it. So they know that, you know, the value of the dollars they're transacting is gonna go down. But they didn't get any of the benefit that came with stimulus to you, to businesses, to corporations. So they're already looking at this as like, we're playing in this game where we have no control, right? It's a very young president. I think he's like 30 something. And the way that their terms work here is that you can get elected once, you can never run for reelection and you're in office for five years. So he basically did all this research and this company called Stripe came down here and really advocated for why this is you know, a viable option. And basically like the cool thing about this is that it's just an alternative. It doesn't have to be like anybody here can still and will probably still accept US dollars, but they have the option to accept Bitcoin in a legal way that you know doesn't create serious tax implications. So right. I, I think here, what we're trying to do here, what I'm trying to do here is educate people because they understand the basics of like how to set up a wallet and how to transact because People came down here and taught them that. 
but they don't understand why Bitcoin's important. They don't understand what the value of a scarce currency is that can't be manipulated by inflation and huge conglomerates. They don't understand you know, where money is going and what just happened in the US and why it's such a big deal that we printed more money last year than we have in the past hundred combined. And they don't understand the implications of that. So it's, it's interesting because everybody here uses it and will take it and right. seems to not have a preference. But again, it's just a testament to how early we are. It's all education and continual growth of the network, continual improvements of the technology. It's just time. And it's exciting to be here in this moment in time to experience, you know, what it's really like to be in an environment where everything runs off of it. Dude, you're so generous taking the time for our audience. Appreciate you like crazy. And uh, dude, can't wait to have you in Nashville here soon. Next time you next yeah. time you decide to stop uh, vagabonding around South America at some point. Like 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 I said, I need to try that chicken, man. The hot chicken. Oh, we gotta have oh, yeah. it. We'll have it at some oh, point. Yeah. Dude, thanks so much for coming on. Of course, brother. All right, that's all. A really big thanks to Zach um, for him coming in here. And if you guys want to learn more, go to miningstore.com. Uh, you can contact his team about what they are uh, working on. And with that being said, if you all like this interview, thought this was fascinating, thought this was interesting, whatever the case is, share this with a friend. Share this with somebody. Like, let's start conversations on these things where they're headed. Um, if you like this interview and also just a you know, really, if you're new to the show or if you're old and you haven't ever either left us a review, whatever the case is, um, we'd love to, I'd love to invite you to do that. We don't monetize the show in any way. I like to have fun with it. And frankly, the reviews are also good for me to kind of see what people are really getting attuned to. So if you want to see more content like this, um, we're going into different things, exploring different concepts, let me know, drop a review, let me know how we're doing. With that being said, talk to you all soon. Let's get after it, folks.